Thank you for listening to Jubilee Tri-Valley's podcast. Today's podcast is part four of our sermon series entitled, How to Hug a Vampire. Please enjoy. If you haven't been here, I'd encourage you to go pick up the CD. We give away the CD of last week's message in the back, or you can be able to, you'll be able to go online and watch uh, pretty soon here. And so anyway, I, I'd encourage you, this series has definitely been um, a progressive series, that there is a, a step to this type of thing. How many of you real quick have a vampire in your life, you know, that you can kind of, you, you've been thinking about? You've been thinking, I wish they were here for this series. Or maybe it's just been good for you to figure out how do I deal with that difficult person again. If you're if you're new here, we're talking about people that suck the life out of you. And we all have kind of people that do that. They're either guilt trippers or manipulators or they're abusive or they're just constant complainers or they just are flat out annoying people in life. And and they're out there and people will bug you, people will rub you wrong, people will make you mad, they will offend you, they will irritate you, they will do all kinds of things to you, but before you can handle any vampire What you've got to realize, first and foremost, is that sometimes when people hear sermons, sometimes they think about you. You ever done that? You're like, man, I wish so-and-so would hear that. They really need to work on that. Well, sometimes they think about you. And sometimes it's you that make other people irritated. And sometimes it's me that drives my wife crazy. And sometimes it's me that makes my employees matter. Sometimes it's me that's always the nicest guy in the world. And I, through no fault of my own, clearly have made people mad. I have accidentally, with no intention whatsoever, my heart is pure. Like I'm sure all of yours are. But even in the pureness of your heart, having the most wonderful intentions in all the world that you could possibly have, you, even you too, have offended other people. Before you can deal with any vampire, it's recognizing that there's a little bit of vampire in me. That when I have to love other people, I need to recognize that I have to love people who are just like me. They're flawed like me. They're dysfunctional, kind of like me. I don't have it all together. And until you get to that conclusion, it's going to be really difficult for you to do anything else. And in part two, we talked about how do you deal with social vampires? How do you actually deal with the people that just kind of rub you wrong? You, You don't live with them, but they just make you mad every once in a while. And the key is this, is judging favorably. Judging the way that Jesus would want you to judge, which is this. Usually you need to give people the benefit of the doubt. Most offenses, let's be honest about this. When you got offended and you got over the hump of that thing and you look back on it and you actually maybe had a talk with that friend, you know what you both realized? Is that's not what they meant and you took it the wrong way and it was a big misunderstanding anyway. Most offenses are based on miscommunication and misunderstanding. So what we need to do is give people the benefit of the doubt and judge them favorably when possible. But when not possible... You gotta build a fence sometimes. You gotta create boundaries in your life. You can't let people have full access into your world because how many know again, vampires can't come into your house unless you do what? Unless you invite them in. At some point, with chronic vampires, habitual vampires, people that are really abusive people, you gotta create some boundaries to say, this is mine and that's yours and this is the level of maybe physical distance that we keep, emotional distance that we keep. I mean, this is, we gotta draw some lines here. You're not gonna put that on me. Tired of you trying to make me feel bad because you're jacked up life. Mm-mm, that's yours. I love you. I'll help you through it as best I can. But you're not going to project that onto me. And so as we walk through this thing, eventually you've got to come to this place today. What happens when you've been bitten? What happens when that person wounded you deeply? And as we walk through today's message, I'm going to give kind of a shotgun message. And here's what I mean by that. A lot of times I'll hone in on one point and just try to drive that thing home. Today is, is like a shotgun message. I'm going to throw a bunch of pellets out there. I hope, they, I hope everybody gets hit today. 
That at some point, something lands on you, something connects with you. And, and when you think about today's message, I want you to think about maybe one particular offense and walk yourself through these ideas. Because there's some absolute people out there who have wounded you, offended you, and hurt you. Today, we will look at that. Do me a favor, bow your heads with me one more time, and let's pray before we look into the Scripture. Father, we pray that, God, you would speak to us. The Holy Spirit, you would dig it up in us. Bring it back to the surface. For some of us, it'll hurt a little bit. We'll be reminded of how deep that wound was or what that person did. We might even have some anger bubble up today, but that's okay, God. Because we trust that you will help us through it and that you will help work it out in us. That, God, you will heal that old wound. Some of you have been carrying wounds for decades, not years, decades. Some of you have been carrying stuff for far too long. And God wants you to be free today. So, God, we pray, let your freedom come. In Jesus' name. Somebody say amen. Amen. If you have your Bible, go to Ephesians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul gives a brilliant breakdown of human interaction, how you get along with other people, and he sets it up with this. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, verse number 22, he says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to actually be made new in the attitude of your minds. And to put on the new self. Everybody say old. Everybody say new. All right, let's try that again. Everybody say old. Everybody say new. What he's saying is this, is that when you come to Jesus and you actually say, Jesus, I, I, I need your forgiveness. I want your grace to be in my life and I want to follow you and follow your ways. He says something radical happens. It's unseen, but something in you that was old will die. And something in you that you never experienced, that it'll come alive. It, it might be subtle for you. It might be extravagant for others, but you're going to have a, sh a shifting and a changing take place in your heart. And here's what I want you to do. The old way you were taught to live a certain way, to think a certain way, to be a certain way, to respond a certain way. Some of you grew up and it was straight up eye for an eye. You punch me once, I punch you twice. You steal from me, I'm going to steal back from you even more. We, and we, we grew up in a society where it was based on, you know, you got to protect your own. You need to fight for what's yours. You need to get them back. Revenge is mine. I'm going to get them. I'm going to make them pay. He goes, there's an old way of life, but I want you to actually change your mind and live under these new ideas, this new self, which is what? It's created to be like who? Like God in true righteousness and holiness. And so he sets this whole thing up before he gets into anything, teaching or correcting. He just wants you to know this. I want you to know that you're new. You're not awful. You're not a worm. You're not a terrible human being. And you know what you are? You're a sinner who God transformed into a saint. You used to have an old life, an old way of thinking. God's made that completely new. You're a new creation. Where? In Christ. So this whole thing that we're working on is based on the idea that God's doing something new in you. Everybody say, okay. Therefore, verse 25, each of you must, this is again, this is the new life. He's going to break it open for us now. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For you are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. This was the idea that, you know, when the sun went down, it was, it was nighttime. You know what I mean? You just didn't get a lot done because they didn't have electricity. And so he was saying like this, don't let the day close. Don't let the day be finished. And you still be hacked off and you still be angry. Your best bet to getting a good night's rest is to go to sleep peacefully. And you need to think about the anger, think about the thing that you're mad about, and actually try to resolve that in your heart, try to resolve that with that, with that person. Because here's the problem that you and I run into. We like being angry sometimes. Can I get a, 
Nobody wants to admit that? Okay. Um, other people like being angry. They just like being angry. They want to be mad. You ever met somebody like that? They want to be mad about that. You start talking about politics, they want to be mad about that. You start talking about sports, they want to be mad about something. And we like that too. We actually feel justified in our anger, don't we? Sometimes it's, it's, we are justified in our anger. Sometimes angry people have a right to be angry. Sometimes somebody did them wrong. He said, you know what, I'm going to give you the best advice in the world. I'm going to go to bed like that. Is this going to just make you a bitter person? Isn't that what bitterness kind of is anyway? When we get anger, notice he says be angry but don't sin. Anger is one of the attributes that's given to God. So anger in and of itself is not sinful. It's what you do with that anger. Sometimes it's being angry at injustice that's caused some of the greatest Christian movements in all the world to feed the hungry, to give water, to save people in sex trafficking, to, to take care of orphans. Why? Where did that root out of? Anger. It's just good anger. But many of us, we don't operate in the good anger. We operate in the, the not-so-good anger. And we get angry, and we get angry. He says, I want you to be angry, but don't sin. And most of us, when we get angry outward, we get loud. We start yelling. We start cussing. We get abusive. We throw things. We hit things. We, we get let it out. But bitterness is almost the opposite. It's anger turned inward. You didn't get angry and blow up on somebody. You just got angry, turned it inward, and then begin to harbor that thing. And there's something called bitterness begins to just kind of live inside of you. Let's keep reading. He says, don't live like that. I've seen married couples do that, by the way. I've, I've been in counseling, and I'll ask them one of these questions. When did things start kind of going downhill? Well, it was about five years ago. Okay, that's the problem right there. Because what we do is, is that sometimes we get angry at our spouse, and we let the sun go down on that anger. And we're like, no, I'm just not going to deal with it. No, I don't want to bring it up right now. No, I don't want to talk to her about it. I don't want to talk to him about it. And we, we just let it go. And see, the problem is, is we let the sun go down for one day. And then one day turns into one week. And one week turns into a few months. And then all of a sudden, you're, you're in counseling and the whole thing's blowing up. And you're like, yeah, about five years ago. Do we see the problem with letting the sun go down our anger? Seek resolution. Seek reconciliation. Seek peace in your relationships. So verse number 20 says, he goes, and don't give the devil a foothold. Notice that this is connected with letting the sun go down on your anger. See, when you harbor bitterness, what you do is, is you open yourself up to all kinds of influences. This is why you have some of the most devious and worst thoughts when you're angry. You ever, like, plotted somebody's demise? Okay, good, thank you. That's, that laugh is as good as an amen. Um, you've done that before, right? You, you were angry at somebody, so you started thinking about a way you could get back at them. I mean, isn't that how you know if you have bitterness? If you're out there today and you say, man, I don't know. I mean, do I have bitterness? Here's some questions you need to ask yourself. Um, do you keep on thinking about it over and over? Do you have imaginary conversations? Do you have reenactments of the way you wish it would have gone? What you wish you would have said? How hard you wish you would have hit them in that moment? Like reenactments in your brain, movie reels. Do you still get emotionally worked up? Do you love the fact that God created caller ID? <laughs> but yet when they call and their name pops up, you just something boils inside of you or turns inside of you, inside of your stomach. Do you, here's a great question. Do you still remember the details? <laughs> That's how you can know if you're bitter. You ever done that? You go up to a friend and... You're like finally ready to resolve an issue and be like, you know, there was just that one day you just really hurt me. And they're like, what are you talking about? 
Like, don't you remember? You were wearing that red scarf with the white blouse, and you had the. Remember, you had the earrings with the thing, and the. And you said this. It was exactly this. These exact words, and I quote. And they're like, God, I don't even remember that. Or, what? That's the conversations you're going to have with me. I have the memory of a goldfish. So um, I turned the bowl once and it's all gone. So, um, so a lot of my conversations with my wife are like that. Like, really? I said that? I'm so sorry. It wasn't in my heart. You remember the details when you're bitter. I don't know what it is. It's something about the anger and the bitterness that creates like a special storage unit in your subconscious. And you harbor that stuff. And you've got this anger turned inward, and you're harboring this bitterness. And let's... Let's, it, what happens is, is this is again, the devil has a foothold now. Why? Because you're angry and you've turned it inward and you're sitting on bitterness and all of a sudden he drops this thought and this thought and this idea and this idea. And rather than giving them the benefit of the doubt, you know what he does? He says, I bet they meant this. And you know, you, it, it was one of those things where they said it and you could have read it this way or this way and the enemy comes and says, I bet they meant this. You know how she is. You know how he always is. He always says stuff like that. The enemy has a foothold. Verse 28, anyone... Who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. Doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Again, it's the, it's the human conflict. It's, the, it's the, the things that we do that irritate, make each other mad. He's getting it all together here. He said, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Isn't that what happens when we get bitter? Unwholesome talk comes out, doesn't it? We start saying bad things about people or gossiping about people or it just bubbles out of our anger. He goes, but only what is actually helpful for the building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, this is fascinating because this is kind of a term you might hear in certain churches. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And many of us, we don't know what that means. Let's, let's take a look at it inside the context of everything that the Apostle Paul is teaching us here. Everything he says before this and everything he says after this has everything to do with human interactions. And he's ultimately saying this. You know what grieves the Holy Spirit? is when you demean other people, disrespect other people, hurt other people, when you demoralize other people, when you, when you just keep knocking them down. Because you've got to remember, they're made in the image and likeness of God too. That Jesus died, the same way Jesus died for you, he died for them. Don't you think he cares about them too? And yet you keep on trying to knock them down. That's what grieves the Holy Spirit of God. He says, verse 31, and we're going to kind of wrap up these last two verses here. Get rid of all the bitterness, the rage, and the anger. This anger is a different word than the anger before. This is an anger that has punishment involved with it. It's not, if you hurt me now, I'm going to punish you type of anger. He goes, get rid of that brawling and slander. Isn't that where it bubbles up to if bitterness gets far enough? What do we do? We start getting, we're either going to fight somebody or we're going to talk bad about somebody. It just bubbled up too much. Along with every form of malice. Everybody say malice. This is where it like escalates and culminates. And finally, like, okay, we're, we're at malice now. Here's, here's what malice is. It's when I get creative in ways to destroy your life. It's when, it's when I don't even care if it's a lose-lose anymore. It's almost like you're going to do this or I'm going to burn this whole thing to the ground, me with it too. I don't even care if it hurts me. We are all going down in flames. You're crazy is what that means. Anybody ever, don't, don't raise your hand. Malice is again, we, we will just burn this whole sucker to the ground. I don't care if we all die. We, you're going to pay when it's reached craziness levels. Verse 32, it, he, he closes here. He goes, therefore, be kind and compassionate to one another. Doing what? Forgiving each other. 
forgiving each other. This is where you ultimately have to go after you've been bitten. And this is difficult. And I actually find problem with the way that certain Christian teachers kind of present this. Because a lot of times I have conversations with people who their wounds are so deep I can't even fathom it. Their, their wounds are so deep. The things that have been done to them I cannot relate to. My life, whatever reason, my parent, God, all that together. I, I've never been through what some of you have been through. And I can't even relate to it. It tears me up inside. And the idea that me as a Christian teacher should just get up and take all of your pain and all of your hurt and the absolute abuse that you've been through and me say, no, no, you just need to forgive. It, it's, it's a bit insensitive, isn't it? Because people that have experienced incredible abuse, you know what? You feel like you got a right to be hurt. And guess what? You kind of do. And here's what we're going to learn today about forgiveness as I kind of throw out this huge, this huge web here in a second. Is that you need to know this about forgiveness. The reason why God wants you to forgive is not for them nearly as much as it is for you. Me saying I want you to forgive them does not mean I want you to let them off the hook because they deserve it. They don't. You deserve to be let off the hook. Because the problem with harboring unforgiveness is it doesn't destroy them nearly as much as it destroys you. Unless you get to the malice level, then you, you're all both done. But as long as you harbor, as long as you turn that anger inward and you carry that bitterness and you're mad and you reenact, they're not even thinking about it anymore. Can I tell you that? The offender rarely ever thinks about it. But it's the offended. You're the one rehearsing you're the one with the imaginary conversations. You're the one with all the details stored in your subconscious somewhere. You're the one that's being carried around by this anger and this bitterness and it's destroying the rest of your life and it's robbing you of your joy. And so when Jesus says, I want you to forgive them, it has really very little to do with them and a lot more to do with, with you. Because Jesus wants you to be free. Jesus wants you to be full of joy. And you can't experience that as long as you harbor this thing called unforgiveness. Today we're going to walk through these six ideas. If you're, if you're taking notes, this would be a good time to start writing stuff down. I'm going to talk to you about six things forgiveness is not. And then we're going to work through six things forgiveness is. And I'll be done in about two hours. So I'm just kidding. We're going to fire through these. So follow with me real quick here. Six things forgiveness is not. Number one is this. It's not denying or diminishing the sin. Don't See, this is. I see guys do this a lot. I know a guy, his wife commits adultery on him. He's heartbroken, devastated. They divorce. It's a wreck. It's a, it's a disaster. And he's broken in the aftermath of it. And you try to talk to him about it. Yeah, 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 it's not a big deal. No, no, it's not a big deal. That, hey, that, that happened. It's in the past. No, it's not a big deal. I'm okay. I'm over that. No, you're not. Live the rest of your life kind of in a shell. You live the rest of your life afraid to open up. You live the rest of your life untrusting of other people. You live the rest of your life bitter towards women. It's not. You're not over it. It is a big deal. It's such a big deal that Jesus had to die for it. That's how big of a deal it is. So we never want to take the sin or the offense or the abuse or the heartache and say, you know what, I'm just over. It's just not a big deal. That, in essence, is you burying it twice. First you bury it in your emotions, then you bury it with your words on top of it. No, let's go ahead and bring it out. That really happened. That really sucked. That really hurt. That was incredibly painful. That's going to take some time to get over. Number two is this. It's not enabling someone. I see this with wives all the time. Your husband does something against you, and you want to make sure that they learn their lesson, so you, you hold it against them. 
Or you're afraid that if I don't do something about it, I'm just enabling him to stay in there. Forgiving someone is not enabling. And this is why we can forgive and still draw boundaries, isn't it? So we're not saying that you're participating. Just because you forgave him doesn't mean you participated in that sin. Number three is this. Oh, this is huge. Forgiveness is not a response to an apology. Man, it got quiet up in here all of a sudden. Forgiveness is not a response to an apology. You know that all the other major religions of the world will teach you that you should forgive if someone apologizes. And how many know that that sounds pretty, you know, honorable? Christianity is flipped it upside down and he goes, I don't want you just to forgive if they apologize. I want you to forgive if they never apologize. I don't care if they ever say they're sorry. It's not about them. It's about you. And I want you to be free. There are some people out there who've asked for apologies and asked for forgiveness. And, and yeah, you did it. I'm telling you there's some people out there. The girls, there's some of you out there that were maybe victimized in college. And you didn't even know his name. You've never even seen him again. How are you going to get forgiveness? He's going to hunt you down and ask for an apology. But yet you're still carrying the wound of that experience. There's some people here. This is crazy. You're going to have to forgive some people who are dead. There's some people who have passed on years ago, and yet you are still mad at them. Many times our parents kick into mind when we start thinking about this. You've got a, a dad or a mom or an aunt or an uncle or somebody who's passed on, and you still carry the weight. You still carry the burden of that experience because they're dead and gone. They never apologize, but you're still carrying that bitterness. And so it's not a response to apology. It's saying, I want you to do it no matter what the circumstances are. Number four is this. It's not covering up sin. Sometimes you have to acknowledge that there's sin. You have to acknowledge that it needs to be brought in light. You need to acknowledge that, you know, let me give you an example of this. If you steal something from me, and it's a legitimate, you know, deal, I'll forgive you. I'm probably still going to press charges. Does, Does that make sense? Like forgiving you doesn't mean that you're void of punishment or void of consequences or void of it being brought into the light. So like if you got something going on that's scandalous in your marriage and then all of a sudden you've come out and you've confessed and all this, I'm going to say, hey, look, here, here's the deal. You need, you need to make this right. Okay, I forgive you. That's great and all. But we got to pull this out into the light and deal with this. So it's not covering up the sin. And five is this. It's not forgetting. This is a huge kind of misnomer inside of Christianity because most of your life you've been taught that you need to do two things. You need to forgive and nuh That's not biblical. There's this even idea in Scripture that God forgets our sins. Have you heard that? Which kind of makes it weird because how is God all-knowing and then yet forgets your sin? How do you weigh out those two ideas? See, the Bible, when you read Scripture, it's in the Hebrew language, when the Bible says that God would remember our sins no more, it was a special Hebrew word. And what they did was is that they took the, the, the function of the word, not the form of the word. So they would say, what does it mean to forget something? It means to never hold it against them again. So it's not like God just plucked it out of his memory bank and then washed it away like it never did happen again. He's just saying that, no, you did it, but I'm going to treat you as though I've forgotten about it, and I'm going to not hold your sin against you anymore. It's the same concept, same word when he says, and God remembered Noah. Like Noah had been in the boat for 40 days, and the Bible says, and God remembered Noah. Do you think God just kind of forgot? Like, oh my God, it's been 40 days. I didn't even think. I guess he'd say, oh, myself. Um, it's been like 40 days. I totally forgot about Noah. Holy cow. I can't believe I left him out there 40 days. That's, so anyway, Holy Spirit, get down there. Um, and God remembered Noah. What does it mean? Is that it was time. 
to do it right. It was, so when he says that he forgets or he remembers, forgetting and remember had, had, had more to do with saying, I'm not going to hold your sins against you, so to remember your sins no more. So, so here's the reality of it. There are people in this life who, there, there's a situation where um, uh, there was a husband and a wife, and the man molested the children. And she forgave him. Incredible story, incredible mirror. She, she forgives him. But then later she lets him be with the kids and it happens all over again. And you're like, well, why did you do that? Well, I thought we were supposed to forgive and forget. No, you're supposed to forgive and then remember to protect your children. This is why, and, and lastly, we'll say this, forgiveness is not trust. I mean, no, like forgiveness is grace. Forgiveness is freely given. Trust, that's different. Trust is earned. How I many know trust can be like built slowly over time and then lost in a second? I mean, that's the way trust works. So it's like, yeah, um, we're, we're going to, you know, we're going we're gonna to forgive you. We're going to cancel the debt against you. We're going to move on from this. But it, it's not going to be the same as it used to be. So like you've got friends who did you wrong and the dynamic of the relationship, it should change moving forward. Like you take my car out and I let you borrow it and you get into a wreck with it. I'll forgive you. I'm not letting you use my car again, though. Ever. No. Maybe like a lot of driver safety or something. But you get the point. So like it's not forgetting about it and making it like it never happened. And it's not just saying, oh, well, I can trust you again. No. You, you can honestly look at a friend who's done you wrong and say, hey, I love you and I forgive you. But it, our future won't be like our past. I mean, things won't be the same moving forward anymore. Can I, can I tell you this real quick here? You can actually forgive people and still have a lot of distance in between them. Like you don't got to be buddies with them to forgive them again. You don't got to be gal pals and, and pen pals and Facebook buddies. and You don't have to be. You can love somebody and forgive somebody without changing the proximity of what ought to be in the relationship. Somebody say, okay. So here we get into what forgiveness actually is. Forgiveness is, at its core, it's canceling a debt. When you look at the parable, there's a great parable that Jesus uh, teaches on the idea of forgiveness. And he puts it in the context of debt. That when somebody offends you, really, they owe you. It is a debt. And he goes, when you forgive them, what you in essence do is you say, you know what? You don't owe me anymore. I cancel your debt. And I've had this conversation with so many young men or so many young women in so many different situations where they're looking at their dad or they're looking at a person in their life and they're looking at someone who offended them. And I have to say this, you have to literally put their name on paper, write down what they took for you, and then verbally out loud say, you know what, dad? You don't owe me anymore. I free you from your debt. It's the canceling of your debt. It's, it's saying you don't have to pay me back because you can't. What you robbed from me, you can't pay me back anyway. Only Jesus can even try to pay that back. But I cancel your debt. Number two is this. It's removing that person's control over you. Isn't that what we talked about earlier? I mean, think about it like this. When you harbor the bitterness and you harbor the unforgiveness, you're the one that lost its joy. You're the one that's still thinking about it, still reenacting it, still remembering all the details, still battling with it, still getting emotionally worked up about it. You know what they really have over you still? Control. Now that's a double-edged sword because at first they got you and then they keep getting you. And Jesus is saying no. Not nearly as much for them as much as it is for you. I want you to be in control of your own life. Not being controlled by the hurt, by the wound, by the emotion, by the lack of trust. I want you to move on from your life. I want you to get back control of your own life. They don't control your identity anymore. That's not who you are. And they don't control your emotions anymore. Number four is this, or I'm sorry, number three is this, is that forgiveness is a gift for them and you. We've talked about this. It's a gift for them and for you. The gift for you is you get your peace back. 
the gift for them is they don't get your revenge. Yeah, they, they don't have to worry about your wrath anymore. They don't have to worry, you know, like when they, you know, when they open their door and it's dark inside and they come walking in, they're not going to have to worry, is Eric in there with a shotgun? They don't have to worry about that. They're free. Number four is this, it's forsaking revenge. It's that very thing, it's forsaking revenge. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that ultimately God is the judge. And that the, isn't that what the Bible says? The Bible says that you don't have to worry about getting them back. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Isn't it? And I want you to know that God is incredibly good at his job. That God is better at judging that situation than you are. And that that person, if they did you wrong, if they were unrepentant, they, they absolutely will pay consequences in this life and the next for what they've done. But we leave that up to God. Instead of trying to take that role on ourselves, Number five is this. It's a decision and a process. This is the biggest misconception, I think, about Christianity. Is that we get into these modes and we, we go to church and so we've been told you need to forgive. And so you know what we do? We think about that person and we say, Lord, I forgive so and so. And then the next day we wonder why the conversations are back, the details are back, the emotions are back. And we're like, but God, I, I said I forgave them. I thought I, I thought I forgave them. I did forgive them. no. Because some of us are convinced we really did forgive them, but we still actually have all the bitterness inside. See, what you need to know is this. It's, it's a decision and a process. Notice it's a decision, not an emotion. You will never in the moment feel like forgiving. Can I help you with that? So if you go out here today and say, you know what, Pastor Todd taught me about forgiveness, and I'm going to make a decision to forgive. It's not going to be like a... You're not going to hear music in the background. Doves won't fly. You won't feel any funny feelings. Nothing like that will happen. As a matter of fact, in the moment that you forgive them, you might even be mad at me for making you forgive. And I'm okay with that. Because it's a decision that you make that is, is a part of a process. And you know what the process is? It's the process of doing it over and over and over and over until the burden slowly lifts. And here's what I've learned. The deeper the wound, longer the process. The deeper the wound, the longer the process. There are people that, that have offended me. It took me five minutes to get over that and to forgive them. There are other people that offended me. It took me five months to get over it. And you know what I had to do? In the five-minute one, I forgave once, I moved on, and my goldfish brain forgot it. But man, for some reason, that person that really upset me, irritated me, offended me, it took me five months. And you know what I had to do? Almost every other day or every week for those five months, I had to choose to cancel their debt over and over. Because every time I realized I was having a conversation again, Every time I was having a reenactment again, every time the emotions bubbled up again, you can feel it, you know what I'm talking about. I had to catch it. You don't want to let those conversations go on too long. You know what I'm saying? If, if, if at the end of the voicemail the thing beeps and says you've gone too long, you've gone too long, okay? What you want to do is catch yourself early on and say, oh, I'm going there again, I need to stop. Lord, I pray for grace, I pray for your strength, God. I choose, I want to forgive them. I release them of their debt, they don't owe me anymore. And then you start humming something or turn on the radio louder. You do start reading something to distract your brain and you try to move on from it. You cancel that debt. And for some of you, it'll be every day for 10 days in a row. And then it'll just be every other day for 10 more days. And then it'll be once a week. And again, the deeper the wound, the longer the process. You know what else I figured out too? Is the closer the relationship, the deeper the wound. There are some people, and you barely knew them, they offended you. You got it over pretty quick. There are some people that you trusted. Some people that you were vulnerable to. Some people that your expectations of them was so high, they were supposed to protect you. 
They were supposed to defend you. They were supposed to be there for you. And when they let you down, oh, that's a different kind of wound altogether. And so the closer the relationship, the deeper the wound. And the deeper the wound, the longer the process. But it is a decision. It's not a feeling. And it's a decision to be a part of a process of canceling their debt over and over and over and over again. And sixth and lastly is this right here. This is the finish line. Forgiveness at the finish line is when you genuinely, everybody say genuinely. We can all put on a show. But genuinely want good for them. This is what it means to bless, isn't it? This is why Jesus has this weird saying. Bless those who persecute you. And do good to them that, you know, that have wronged you. And you're like, what? That's crazy talk. That makes no sense, Jesus. Well, it does now that we put it all together. Because this is how you know you've truly forgiven someone. Is when you can actually step back and say, I actually want good things for you. But if like you're talking to a friend and that person's name comes up and you're like, oh yeah, you know, they so-and-so lost their job. And inside you're like, yes. If you do that, that's proof it's still there. You know what I mean? If they're like, yeah, yeah, they got into a car accident. Like, did they die? Did they? Are they gone? If that's there, you're still harboring the bitterness. But when something comes up and you're like, yeah, yeah, they got a job promotion. If something inside of you is like, stupid. They didn't deserve that. You know, it, but if, if, if all of a sudden they get the job promotion, you're like, good, praise God. Thank, I, I'm so glad. When you can actually say, I bless so-and-so, I hope they prosper, I hope their family's doing good, I, I hope they get their health back, I hope they, you know what I mean, instead of I hope they die, or I hope, you know, whatever. When you can genuinely bless them and you know it's a genuine moment, I'm telling you what, you have, you're, you're right there, if not across the finish line already. And that's where you want to be. You know why? Jesus says this, or Paul says in the Galatians, this is for freedom, for freedom Christ has set you free. For freedom Christ has set you free. He doesn't want you bound up with bitterness anymore, bound up with unforgiveness anymore. The most happy people in the world are people who can freely give forgiveness, freely give blessing, freely give grace, and not be bound up and harboring all of this stuff. And if you look at the last line when you read uh, Ephesians chapter 4, the last line says this. It says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. This is how. Just as in Christ God forgave you. The only way you can forgive, the only motivation you have in the world is stepping back and saying, you know what, but a long time ago, man, God forgave me. And nobody's been sinned against more than God, by the way. I know you've been sinned against, and I know it was hard, but nobody's been sinned against more than God. There's this, there's this moment where Jesus is hanging on the cross. There's another thief and murderer next to him. He says, God, will you remember me when you get into, your, in, in, into the next life? He goes, today you will be with me in paradise. In the moment of his death, he's forgiving other people. In the moment of his death, he's looking at people from hanging on the cross. And he's saying, Father, do what? Forgive them. They know not what they do. There's something fascinating about history uh, that, that I've learned recently. If, if you go back into Roman times, this is going to be a little bit gross, but I'll take you there anyway. They didn't have bathrooms the way that we have bathrooms, and so they would have these kind of outdoor bathrooms, and there were slaves that would clean the men or women after they, I think it was mostly men, after they used the restroom. And what they would do is, is that underneath the stalls, they would have a long stick with a sponge on it, and they would begin to clean the men after they used the bathroom. Um, it wasn't long before they figured out that, that guys were getting infection because of this. So they decided, well, we've got to find a way to cleanse this. And so what they would do is they would put wine and vinegar on the sponge, and they would use that sponge to clean. And the Roman soldiers would even carry this device with them when they went out and were gone. You go read the scripture and you go read the text when Jesus was hanging on the cross. You know the story, you know where I'm going now. 
There's this weird story that we don't even really know how to make sense of. And it's, it's just strange because the Bible says that they offered him wine and vinegar and they held up a stick and offered him wine and vinegar. What do you think that was? The Son of God hanging on a, on a cross, being absolutely demoralized, demeaned, disrespected. And he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I want to be like my Heavenly Father and I'm not there and I'm not perfect by any means. But you know what? If God can look at me and forgive me and cancel my debt, then I've got to try to get in on the process of forgiving other people of theirs. Isn't that the way Jesus taught you how to pray? When you read the Lord's Prayer, he says, Father, forgive those who trespass against me as I have trespassed against you or as if you have forgiven me. I mean, isn't this a whole concept? Listen to this last scripture and I'm done. Colossians 2. He says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, meaning you weren't connected to God, that God made you alive with Christ. He forgave how many of your sins? All your sins. And listen to what he does with it. Having canceled the charge of your legal indebtedness, which stood against you and condemned you, he took it away. He nailed it to the cross. See, forgiveness is canceling a debt. And what the Bible says is that Jesus took all your indebtedness and he hung it and he nailed it on a cross and says, you're free. You don't owe me anymore. I cancel your debt. And as a human being, you get to step into that when you come to Jesus and say, God, I need you in my life and I want to follow you and your ways. All of a sudden, done. And it is out of that that we look at the other people who have wounded us and damaged us and hurt us. And it is only out of that motivation that we try to make the decision and get in on the process of canceling their debt. But here's my promise to you. If you will do it, if you will make that decision, if you will get in on that process, you will be a happier person. You will be a person of more joy. You will be a free person. You will be a person who is able to fully engage in God's plan and purpose for your life. Why? Because you're free. You're not constantly bound up by what happened in the past. Your identity is not bound up with what they did to you. Your emotions aren't bound up with always thinking about it and reliving it and rehearsing it. You are free. And for freedom, Christ has set you free. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. God, it is only because you are good it is only because you are kind. It is only because you have modeled the way. You have paved the way, God. You canceled my debt, and God, now you've asked me to cancel others. And God, that's not a light thing. Some of the abuse and some of the wounds that are in this room and represented in this room, they go so deep. But God, I pray that you'd give us that grace. Give us the strength. You know, at the beginning of the message, I told you, be thinking about somebody that offended you. Be thinking about somebody that did you wrong. Hey, I want you to pursue forgiveness. There was a man once said that harboring unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting them to die. Sometimes that's what we do. We harbor bitterness thinking we're going to get back at them. We're only killing ourselves. We want to be free today. So Father, I pray for all these great and wonderful people. God, let them be free today. Let them walk out of this place free and their hearts free, God. The burdens lifted. The pain is just a little lighter. God, let healing come in people's hearts as they pursue forgiveness. Let healing and restoration come in people's soul as they pursue forgiveness, Lord God. That is our prayer today. In Jesus' name, somebody shout amen. Amen. Yeah, give the Lord a big hand clap this morning. Well, again, thank you for listening to Jubilee Tri-Valley's podcast. 
For more information on Jubilee Tri-Valley Church, please visit us online at jtvchurch.org.